This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way, with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to another Foul Front podcast episode. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me per usual is my co-host, Thomas. Thomas, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm not too bad. We are two days away from turkey shotgun season here in Nebraska, so I am <laughs> hoping tomorrow and the next day goes by really fast and hmm. uh, hopefully find some gobblers. And yeah, I know we're one of those weird states that has a bow season for turkeys. How, yeah, how it, long does y'all's bow season run before gun opens up? Uh... I want to say it's, I think it's March 25th every year is bow season, like bow opener. So it's oh, okay. about three weeks. Huh. Wow. Somewhere in there. But do many people in your area hunt them with a bow? Is it like something you see much of, or do you see many out-of-staters come and try it? Or what's the deal with it? Yeah, there's a, there's a fair amount of people that bow hunt. I mean, I bow hunted them before and Josh has came up and we've bow hunted them be- together before as well. Uh, that was when we had three turkey tags a year. This year, I kind of focused more on snow geese, so I didn't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think about it because I mean, it was a week and a half, two weeks ago, we still had snow on the ground, so mm-hmm. uh, it was hard, hard to think about turkey hunting when there's snow on the ground, but and snow geese around. It's kind of my dilemma, but there's a there's a fair amount. Um, Nebraska gets inundated with non-residents for turkey season um they had y'all go to a draw this year sorry to interrupt no you're fine um 
I don't think it was a draw. I think it was kind of first come first serve. I guess I didn't really pay too close uh, attention. So like a, a quota. They, I yeah, I know they do have a quota. I believe it was ten thousand non-resident tags, and those were sold out. That's oh my gosh, that's crazy. They they sold out, and there was more than that that showed up in you know years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if they had a cap on that or not in past years. I I didn't really pay that close of attention to that, but I mean it was non-residents in the past three three turkeys non-residents you know you can just buy them and come up and shoot three turkeys if you can find them so uh they they've cut back on that non-residents only get one tag now and residents only get two so that's how it is going forward and then there's some telecheck systems they implemented now too that it, it it's good and we can hammer you know we can get into this a little later uh i want to talk about you know close up snow goose season and then we'll talk a lot of turkey but sounds good to me yeah so what have what have you been up to lately you guys don't have much for snow geese over there i'm taking yeah unfortunately i think i think the eastern population of snow geese is probably well up into canada now or at least somewhere around the st lawrence river so yeah they're they're way way north of me um mainly just been fishing and then turkey hunting our season opened on saturday here in virginia so um i actually didn't hunt saturday or sunday i had uh Leroy stepped on a copperhead on Friday night. Oh. So yeah, that was uh a little bit worrisome. Luckily he did not get bit, but um yeah, just definitely uh kind mm. of a threw me through the whole weekend for a loop because I was planning on going up to the mountains and hunting with my dad and then wasn't able to make it up there. So got delayed on that, but I got up there on Monday and then hunted the past four days and been chasing some turkeys. They've been talking and uh been fishing our tidal rivers here in Virginia. We have some kind of cool, we have some cool fishing opportunities right close to where I live because we have fish that run out of the ocean up our rivers to spawn. So like we get a huge run of shad that comes up the river and I've been fishing for them. And then um, you have blue cats, blue cat fish in the river year round, striped bass that run up the river as well. So a lot going on in the spring here in the rivers. And then uh, yeah, plenty to keep you entertained in the woods as well with the turkeys. Yeah, I actually speaking of fishing i was just fishing last night um walleye spawn is starting to take place here in nebraska across oh, nice. go to all the lakes but it's frustrating it is so frustrating because you see these walleye and like they'll spawn right up next to you like they'll be right at your feet you're standing <laughs> on rocks or something they'll just be there like and you know their eyes glow when with your headlamp on them and they will they bite very often no I mean, it can be some of the most frustrating fishing, but every now and then you'll get one mad enough to bite your lure. And then, uh, I mean, you can catch some really big walleye if you, if you, uh, if you're lucky enough and put in that time, but, uh, no luck last night. So So are you primarily sight fishing for them at night or is it just, are you fishing for them out deeper and you just tend to see some up close while you're out? No. Um, so basically you want to find basically how it works is, you know, you're fishing large, uh, lakes, reservoirs, um, mainly is what a lot of people do. You can also fish like rivers, uh, you know, they, they'll go up onto like little gravel beds and stuff. Uh, there, there's several areas, but most people fish on dams is how that usually works. And then you just cast parallel to the dam. You're banging, um, you know, just kind of swim baits, uh, off the rocks and your whole goal is just to get it close enough to where it it irritates them enough and it's a reactionary bite is what you're going for on it um, they're not really too hungry you know they got one thing on their mind 
and if you get them mad enough, like they're like, Oh, what's this little fish doing here in between me and my lady? Uh, sometimes they'll bite it. So that's, and it it seems like it goes in little cycles. Like some nights it'll be just fire and you'll, you know, you can catch a walleye limit in a couple hours and other nights you might be lucky if you get one bite. So, but you know, walleye is really good eating. So I (laughs) need a view for the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. That actually sounds a lot like our shad run. Like, um, they're a fish that's just coming up into the river to spawn. So they're not really there to chase any forage, but we just fish for them with little crappie jigs and then like little gold or silver spoons. And you're just looking for the same sort of thing, just a reactionary bite or just to, just to provoke their aggressiveness and get them to chase something. And, you know, a lot you get with the shad fishing, you actually, you get a ton of bites. Like you'll get 10 bites in a cast and not hook up on any of them and that's pretty routine but you know eventually you get enough bites where one of them actually grabs onto the jig and gets the hook in his mouth yeah sounds like fun yeah it's interesting unfortunately they're not quite the same sort of table fare as walleye (laughs) um yeah they're some people eat the row out of them but pretty much all we ever do is just catch and release unless we need some for catfish bait okay yeah, so I guess uh, let's let's wrap up snow goose season here real quick. So yeah, how how did uh, your snow goose season come to a close? Was it a good one in the end? <laughs> well, I hunted the most days for snows I ever have. <laughs> uh, I think I went out on nine total hunts. I shot, I want to say, I shot four snow geese on those nine total hunts, and I saw like thirteen or fourteen total fall, like as you know, as a group that's that's all we got as a group every time i went out hunting so um not a lot of skunks luckily usually could at least get one or two snow geese to decoy in or um be close enough to shoot and you know that's snow goose hunting you you just really um the more i get into it and it's becoming (laughs) i think i'm just as addicted to that now as i am duck hunting maybe more so because i'm looking at more decoys for next year trailer and all that good stuff but uh, I mean, it's, it's just a whole nother game. It's a whole, it's a whole new learning curve. And every time they beat you, at least for me, it just makes me want to go out again. Like it, and you know, you just, I don't know. It keeps driving me. It's like, uh, it's like my Moby Dick almost, you know, the great, <laughs> the great white goose. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, definitely. I, I can relate to that whenever I feel like the birds are outsmarting me or I'm not able to really figure them out. It definitely lights a fire for me as well. Um, What a shoot. I had a question. I totally just blanked on it. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask you something to follow up about snow goose hunting. It's actually, all right, skip, let's skip it. I'll remember (laughs) it here in about 30 seconds, probably. Yeah. So I guess uh, the highlight recap going. What, what, were, what were the high points and the low points of snow goose season? Because I know from what I've heard about snow goose hunting, it can be pretty tough conditions. Obviously, it's early mornings, can be late nights. Like, uh, did y'all have any big hiccups, any run-ins with mud, anything like that? Well, I guess the we'll start with the highlights first. The high, first highlight was I shot my first blue goose ever, so that was you know that was one of my goals. Uh, unfortunately it was a juvie. I, I really want a nice adult for the wall and just could not, could not make it happen. But you know, once again, hopefully next year, 
uh, low lights, or I guess one of just challenges. Um, I went out hunting in Eastern Nebraska once this year and we were on this pond. The birds were roosting on it like two days prior. And there was a couple other ponds in the area. It got down to like nine degrees the day I was like the morning I was going out there. So the whole pond froze except for a little chunk where they had the ice heater running. The birds were on the other two ponds and they bounced back and forth and really didn't pay us much attention. Uh, we, I think we ended up with five that day. So, I mean, it, it was a fun hunt. It, we had a good wind. It could have been a little better if, you know, if the water would have been open, I think we would have shot a, quite a few, but you know, the weather this year really was probably the biggest challenge. It just, it stayed cold. Um, there was like, there was snow geese roosting on ice in places in the state this year during snow goose season. They were out here. I mean, I was snow goose hunting just less than two weeks ago still. And there was a big amount of snow geese around. And that's just, I mean, April 1st, I was out snow goose hunting and that's kind of unheard of to see that many numbers and especially adults, like a lot of adult snow geese still around for April 1st. Usually there should have been, you know, South Dakota at the minimum, if not North Dakota, Canada, and that snowpack up there just kept them down <laughs> and they had seen it all and they did not want to cooperate. I mean, we, we found feeds, we found where they wanted to go, um, where they were coming from. We tried a whole bunch of different setups. And just when we thought, you know, like setting up, oh, we got them. <laughs> nope. They, uh, they would either stay too high or flare off as, I mean, the last, the last two snow goose hunts, Usually those are some of the better ones later in the season because you got mostly juvies and there was a lot of juvies around, but there's a lot of adults and we just, we could not pull them. They'd come up, they'd approach our spread and then they'd flare off about a hundred yards out. And I mean, we tried everything. We tried moving spots to the intel of the spread. So maybe if they did that again, we could at least shoot or uh, we tried pulling motion decoys. We tried turning the speakers off. We tried turning the speakers down, tried turning them up. I mean, (laughs) all kinds of different combinations throughout the season and just could not, could not figure them out. But, you know, like I said, that's, that's part of the fun is trying to, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and looking forward to next season already. So did y'all ever get under a big spin this, this year? Did it never really happen? It, it never happened. I mean, I guess technically we got under some big spins, but not, like they would be super high and they'd spin several times and then they just kind of slide off or peel out, not really care. So yep. that, you know, that's how that goes, but yep. that's yeah, snow I mean, goose hunting. I haven't snow goose hunted any at all. Really. I've been on a couple hunts where they've been shot just kind of as incidentals. Um, but I do have a little bit of experience with hunting lesser Canada's, which I feel like are probably the most comparable bird, just in like the the way that they behave, flying in these giant groups and just being kind of a little squirrely at times and uh, pretty quick to jump fields on you. But like I can say, there's a part of me like when when I was, for instance, when I was out scouting in North Dakota, I found a feed of like 1,500 lessers and like the logical part of my brain was like, you don't have the goose decoys for these. Like you need basically 10, 20 dozen. Like you basically they're like the logical part of my brain was just telling me if you try and hunt these, they're a hundred percent going to hop fields on you. But at the same time, like 
there's a part of me that was thinking back to when I've hunted them before and just like knowing that probably all those birds are going to come in one flock and, you're, and there's a chance you could be under 1500 birds at once. Like there's something about having, just having the remote opportunity to be underneath the, that amount of birds that has a weird addictive, um, I don't know, capacity towards it. Cause like rationally, I know that I'm going to get, get my butt kicked probably nine out of 10 times trying to hunt lessers, but that one out of 10 times is enough to keep me wanting to chase them a little bit. Exactly. It's, it's all that, it's that one time you keep chasing that and <laughs> it doesn't happen near as often as the, as you know, the skunks or the, they, they, they win a lot more often than they lose. It seems like. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And I mean, that's what happens. That's what happens when you have a flock full of 15, 20 year old birds, they tend to be pretty dang tough to hunt, which I'd say, I don't know. I, and I really haven't hunted lessers much at all either. You've probably hunted them more than I have. Would you say snows are still way harder to hunt than even the big flocks of lessers? See, I don't, I mean, we get lessers here, but I don't really target them because of that. No. I, I like the cacklers and I like the big ones, the big ones, you know, the big honkers, they, uh, they decoy in a lot easier and the cacklers. <laughs> I just like, cause they're, they're a cool little duck or goose. <laughs> They're Some cool little goose, the size of a duck, though, and they're they can be pretty easy to decoy as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I don't really focus too much on the lessers. Um, just you know, I hunt more water, anyways. So if they're coming in there, they'll come in there. I guess I, I'm not throwing out huge spreads. I'm not throwing you know I'm not running huge field spreads for Canada geese typically at all. I mean, if I have a buddy that maybe is. I'll come out and help set up or something, but I, I don't have the decoys for it. And I don't, you know, I don't really mess with it too much, but I, I, I'd probably still put snows over lessers with limited experience. Gotcha. Yeah. That would, that would be my take on it too, from an outside perspective. Yeah. So, um, I guess we kind of hit on it is, you know, it's with, with snow geese and lessers, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, the birds are gonna win quite, quite often. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a good segue over to turkey hunting. And I'll kind of explain what I mean is there's, there's this uh, prevailing sentiment or maybe it's not prevailing, but there's a growing sentiment on particularly Instagram that I've noticed that, that is, uh, it's okay to let the turkey win. So kind of like, you know, the snow geese, they're going to win a lot. Um, but what this is in reference to is particular styles of turkey hunting that are becoming more popular. And we'll get into, um, you know, our turkey hunting plans, I'm sure, and other stuff. But I really want to talk about this because it is a growing issue and it's something that needs to be talked about. And that is fanning and more specifically reaping of turkeys. So uh, curious where you stand on this issue, Thomas. Honestly, I... I don't have, I, I have feelings on it, but I don't have any like hard set opinion. Like, I feel like this is a very, very divided, I almost, I'd almost call it like a political issue. Like you're either on one side or the other, and there's a big, uh, big divide between the two camps on this. I feel like, um, I've personally never done it before. That's not for like, that's not for a lack of want. Like I a hundred percent 
I want to try it at least once at the very minimum. The issue is I hunt mainly public ground for turkeys and I'm not suicidal. So uh, yeah, I don't have any plans to walk behind a fan or a a Tom decoy on public land. But if I did get the opportunity on private land, I would try it once. I just want to, I want to have a firsthand experience so I can make my own, make my own judgments on it. And, uh, not just go off kind of the hearsay that you see on the internet. What What's your opinion on it? Cause I, I have a feeling you might have a more, and the, I guess a, one other thing I'd add is that I haven't seen many people do it either. I actually have never seen anybody do it in person. Like I've never seen anybody out on public land or private land around me fanning turkeys. Um, so it's not something that really I factor into like, how the turkey hunting is in my area. I don't think it really um, impacts it much because I, I doubt many people do it around me or it doesn't seem like they do. But I would assume maybe there's more people doing it around you with all the fields. So do you have a, an opinion on it? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll kind of give my background on this first. So, you know, I've started turkey hunting when I was 12. Uh, so I'm almost, I'm over two decades. No, I'm almost two decades. <laughs> It's been one of those days, <laughs> almost two decades into turkey hunting. Um, more times than not, you know, we, we had an old rubber hen decoy that looks almost like a tire. My dad still has it and we'd sit up against a tree. Sometimes we will not even have the decoy. Um, I, I've hunted in ground blinds with decoys. Uh, I'm not going to say I've never carried a fan. I've never shot a turkey with a fan. I've never even fanned a turkey in, um, the past few years i don't even take a fan out i i don't really care to hunt like that um you know i i like either setting up in my ground blind and having a couple decoys and watching them you know work across the field if they do or just just watching them i mean there's you know sitting in a ground blind you, you know i've sat all day out in a ground blind before just and sometimes they'll come in sometimes they won't um if they do fine you know that's awesome if not still still a good day out there for hunting um, but I, I have no, you know, I, I don't feel the need to get up and go and carry a fan in front of me or a strutter decoy or something in front of me to go try to get these birds, you know, coax these birds to come charge me. I, I have, I want zero part of that. Like uh, that does not interest me at all. Um, you know, I other, can't. are you? So you're, mm, you're telling me that there's no part of you that like you see a video or hear a story of someone you're, you're behind a fan or a Tom decoy in the middle of a field and you have a fully mature Tom live Tom charging at you. Like that sounds interesting. That sounds fun. That's the only way to put it for me. I I, I just, that doesn't do it for me. I, you know, I'd rather be in my ground blind or set up against a tree. Um, actually you can have some really fun hunts if you're just like last year, for instance, I saw this Tom out in a field and, uh, there was a ditch and a good, uh, good tree row that I was able to work around in. And I just sat up on this berm and waited for him and started calling no decoy. And he came in, came into an opening and I was, he actually came on the other side of me other than like there was two openings and I was set up on one opening and he came up another opening. (laughs) 
he spotted me, but he didn't really know what I was. And and then he came around and worked to the other opening and I was able to bag him that way. But, you know, I, I, I just like to be able to set up and watch him from a long ways out. I just, the, the whole reaping thing just, I, it doesn't do it for me. I don't think I would enjoy that at all. I'd equate it almost to like jump shooting versus decoying ducks. That's I'd, I'd say the closest analogy I see to it in the hunting world. Like there, I think they're two very different things in the way you go about them. Uh, ultimately they have the same goal, the same end point. You want to bag a bird and, and eat it. Um, but there's the same sort of controversy in the jump shooting versus decoying side of things. A lot of people don't see jump shooting as actually hunting. They see it as cheating. Um, at the end of the day, I, I would go back to, I, I think they have the same end point. Like I, I can see, I, I could see the merits on both sides. Like there's definitely a, a lot of things to be fleshed out in the, uh, in the, issues with reaping and it you know targeting the mature bird in a flock and stuff like that but at the end of the day it's a hunting tactic that is meant to draw a bird in okay i can kind of see your comparison between reaping and jump shooting but i'm going to counter that with two two for two reasons first safety if you're jump shooting you're probably not going to get shot by another hunter if you're reaping on public land or fanning on public land, there's a very good shot that you <laughs> could get shot. Uh, in fact, it just happened about a week ago. Uh, I want to say it was in South Carolina. Just and it it's not it, it's not that unusual of circumstance to hear of people getting shot reaping or fanning or just wearing black turkey hunting. You know, there's. It even says, like, the National Wild Turkey Federation, do not wear blue, red, black, or white, I believe, because you possibly could get shot because people aren't paying attention. They're not mindful of their targets. Number one, safety. That That's a big distinction between jump shooting and reaping. Number two, and I want to give credit to make sure I get the name here right, Cameron Wedding, Weddington. Yes. So if you guys haven't heard him, check him out on Instagram. He has this little story called ban the fan and in it he explains a biological response called a fixed action pattern and i want to kind of just read a little bit about this so once released a fixed action pattern runs to completion and this is why reaping works this is why fanning works that that bird seeing that fan for whatever reason it triggers something in it and it runs to completion and then he has a bunch of examples it's a really good little story. There's people in like dinosaur costumes reaping to success, people in like civil war costumes. There's a whole bunch of things. And I I saw that and you know, I that you know, something something's not right. Like a mature turkey, a mature gobbler that's been around, if you're in a dinosaur costume, if you're wearing anything other than camo, if you're you know, it it, it I don't want to say it eliminates fair chase, but I, I would be interested in more, more and more research about it, but seeing that story really opened my eyes and there's only a handful of instances there. You can go online and you can find even more. And I, you know, that alone turned me off of, of ever wanting to do it other than, you know, just my preferred hunting method. But 
I would it would not hurt my feelings if it just went away. If states and some states have banned it, but you know, it, it it's eliminating, like you said, Thomas, those mature gobblers. It's it's working on biology, and in my mind, it's almost unfair to the gobbler. I, I would rather, you know. And I'm not, I don't want to come off like a purist or anything. I don't care if you use decoys. I don't care if you use a ground blind. I do those. I don't care if you use a bow. I don't care if you use, uh, you know, a shotgun, whatever. I might care if you use a rifle. That's a whole nother deal. That goes back to the safety thing, but Hmm. I don't know that, that, that's, that's the crux. You know, those are the two reasons, safety and the biological response from the gobbler to a fan, to a strutter decoy. When people can go out in goofy costumes for whatever reason, well, social social media clout is the main reason, let's be honest here. That that that's not right. I definitely can see a lot of merit in the biology um argument. The safety one, like there's for merit there for sure. I think a lot of it's just like Darwin Award stuff. If you're gonna go out and reap turkeys on public land, like you probably shouldn't have got your hunter safety card in the first place like uh, that that honestly that should be covered in hunter safety is don't take a deer decoy a turkey decoy any, anything out on public land because you just don't know who's going to be out there um you know that there's there's safety issues throughout hunting so i definitely would oh hold up, hold up. <laughs> sorry about that we've got uh, some severe thunderstorms in the area apparently oh nice Finally, some rain, hopefully. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Okay. (laughs) Back to your school of thought here. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, what I was getting at is I was just going to say that I think my biggest issue, where I fall on the issue in terms of action to be taken, you know, taking action, I just see it as a very slippery slope issue. Um, You know, I'm never one to advocate for more government regulations or government intervention. Um, You know, I think there probably could be a way that, you know, responsible legislation could be put in place to um, help mitigate some of the issues with reaping. But at the same time, you know, is there, are there going to be States where they decide that, well, you know, a ground blind is, is cheating as well, or, you know, not fair. You know, I, it's really strange to me that you can take a big square piece of camo tarp and stick it out in the middle of a field and a turkey walks right up next to it. Like it almost blows my mind because we hunt waterfowl, which is a bird that's, you know, on average, let's say 10 times smaller than a turkey, a Drake mallard. Um, And, you know, we hunt out of these big box blinds for them as well, but you have to brush them in so well that, you know, all the corners are hidden and they can't come over top and get a look down at your face. But meanwhile, you know, you can take a piece of camo tarp and stick it out in the middle of the field and shoot a turkey. Not that I have any issue with it. I just think it's super strange. Like, I don't understand how a turkey's mind works where he'll pick you out through the woods at 50 yards. But they just decide that this big box in the middle of a field is no threat at all. That's and that, Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair. Uh I don't, I would be curious to know the, you know, the biological response from a turkey towards ground blinds like that as well. Um, I don't think you'll ever see a banning of ground blinds, nor in my opinion, should you not just because I use them. If I, you know, if I didn't have to, 
I'm, I'm, I grew up sitting by trees. I'll sit by trees. Any, again, I'm not opposed to that. Actually, I shot a turkey sitting up along a pine tree last year. So, um, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not going to be upset if that were to happen, but I would counter that with saying that ground blinds at least allow for children. Like if you're trying to introduce kids to the outdoors, that's a great tool. Um, you know, they can have their color books or iPads or whatever kids use these days. I don't know. Um, while you're waiting for the turkey, uh, kids aren't very uh, great at keeping still. So a ground blind is very good for that as well. And if it allows turkeys to get, you know, allows hunter to, hunters to get turkeys in closer so they can take higher percentage shots, more ethical shots, I'm all about that. Because another thing that I don't like seeing in social media in regards to turkey hunting is this TSS revolution. This These people are like, oh, you can reach out and you can touch them at 70, 80, 90 yards with these TSS loads. I don't care if you can. I don't want to shoot a turkey past 35 yards. I called one into five yards last year. And, you know, that seeing them up close, that is that is what I like. You know, I, I, I want to hear their vocalizations. I want to see them up close. That is part of it to me. And that's an ethical shot. Now you can still miss them at five yards. <laughs> you know, I missed them. I missed them. I've done that before. Not recently, but I've definitely done that before when I was younger. Yeah, so, I missed one at literally five steps yesterday. Ooh, okay. Well, we got a story. I got to hear about this after, <laughs> after we, we flesh this out. But, you know, it, I'm, I'm all about if, if it's if you can get higher percentage shots, more ethical shots, so you're not crippling game and losing it, then I would argue in the case like in in this hypothetical for ground blinds, and I see that as a plus for ground blinds and for actual turkey decoys, not for like the reaper decoys or anything like that or fans, but because some of these shots, another that's another thing with reaping. If you watch them, they'll be like crawling prone with it on their shotgun or something. And then you got to stand up quick and shoot at the bird. You're, you know, rush shots. Sometimes shoot, you can see a miss and then they'll take another shot. And sometimes they get the bird. Sometimes they don't. So those aren't, I want to call those great percentage shots compared to, you know, where you can take your time in a ground blind or in a tree or along a tree. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's kind of a whole, my whole stance on it. Yeah, I'm I'm not anti-ground blind by any means. I hope I didn't come off that way. Like, I grew up hunting out of a, hunting out of a ground blind. I 100% think they're the way to go if you're hunting with kids. Um, not my preferred way of hunting turkeys now, but I'm not going to knock anybody for breaking out the ground blind. I just think it's interesting how turkeys react to them compared to how other game reacts to them. Um, but yeah. for sure, like... I just think it's a good analogy because, you know, it's just, I think it's such a slippery slope with the reaping. Like, are we going to ban all turkey fan decoys? You know, can you only have a half strut or quarter strut, Tom? Or can you still have that big, you know, can you have the full on full strut um, Tom in your decoy setup? And then if you can have him, can you go sit in on a tree 10 yards behind that fan decoy? Like, where's the difference then you know he's still going to come up 10 yards away from you and start beating on the fan decoy um so i think there's just a lot of little minuscule things that uh when you give 
when you give the when you give lawmakers the room to play with things like that, they tend to uh, take more than I'd say the oh, average yeah. average uh, citizen wants them to. Give them an inch, they take a mile. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, that's why you know I think there needs to be more studies on it. More, and there are ongoing turkey studies. Not really, I don't, not that I know of anything like pertaining to reaping and their response like that, but mainly the population, which is a huge issue currently. Um, as you know, we talked about earlier, they they lowered the bag limit here in Nebraska to two for residents, one for non-residents. Um, populations across most of the country are falling and just and there's a whole host of reasons that are being thrown out as to why but it's like no one knows exactly like there's it could be a death by a million cuts kind of thing but there's a lot of ongoing research so i'm i'm very curious about you know what's going to happen with that my personal thoughts on it are you know habitat's a big part of it some predation in there as well um, but there's, there's all kinds of theories, you know, there's uh seed treatment possibly and who know lack of fire I've heard in some areas. So, yeah, for sure. I, and that's the, that would be my whole take on this argument would be that I think there's a lot bigger things going on in the Turkey world currently than reaping. I know reaping is probably the one that draws the most attention just because there's the most, online arguments about it but i think as turkey hunters we should be focusing our time and energy on figuring out what's happening with the population in certain parts of the country and then just recruiting more turkey hunters or um figuring out ways that we can make public land turkey hunting better because you know one thing that we have issues with in my area is overcrowding on public land but at the same time, they say with it, that we're losing turkey hunters every year in the state. So um, trying to figure out a way where we can make public land turkey hunting great again uh, without completely overcrowding the public lands through hunter recruitment in the process, I think, is also a very valid argument or a very valid uh, debate to have. I don't I don't know that you will. Um without lowering bag limits to like one a person and then maybe implementing a lottery system or a draw system for make like turkey units i don't i don't know that and i'm sure there's probably some states talking about that if they haven't implemented something like that already you know it's big game they kind of do they do some of that um so you could see you know if overcrowding continues to be an issue you definitely could see that yeah is that something that you've seen in your area i don't know how much public turkey hunting you do out your way but um is it something i you hear about or see i i I know there's a fair amount of overcrowding um i don't hunt public for turkeys i think i've hunted public maybe twice in my life for turkeys ever and it's more for the safety aspect i don't trust the public when i'm out turkey hunting um one of my cousins had a friend killed while out turkey hunting so I don't, I don't even try to mess around with that stuff. Maybe, you know, if I got more and more into archery turkey hunting, I would try it. You know, I, I wouldn't be scared. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm scared, but I wouldn't be concerned um, hunting public for turkeys. But, you know, I have private access, so I don't even mess with it. Yep. Well, I'd say we 
I'd say we fleshed it out pretty well. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we should touch on. Can you think of anything? Do they allow rifles in your area? I know, yep. I think Oklahoma and North Carolina both do. Yep, Virginia's rifles. I don't believe there's a caliber limit, minimum or maximum. So I think you can shoot them with a 22 short, or you can shoot them with a 375. Um, but it, it's not really common from what I hear. Um, I know a few people who've shot them with rifles, uh, but mainly it, from what I've heard, it's mainly just an opportunity thing. Like most people still want to go out and hunt them with a shotgun and get them in at 10, 15 yards. But the, the stories I've heard about people killing them with a rifle is like, Oh, we got back to the house and there's one out in the field behind the house at 10 30. So, you know, went out and grabbed the 243 and put one through them. See yeah, that, that once again, just like a reaping, that does not interest me at all. And I could see on, if like on public land, that could get especially dangerous if people start really getting into that. But the, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to shoot a turkey at a hundred yards at all. I don't want to shoot a turkey at fifty yards. Like I want, I want them in my lap if possible. I want them right in front of me. <laughs> so, yeah, that that doesn't interest me at all. But yeah, no, per- personally, I reaping sounds way more enjoyable to me than shooting one with a rifle. Um, I just seems like there's a way higher chance of wounding one. Um, obviously you don't get to have that up close and personal experience with them. It's, and then also, you know, you're shooting them with a high powered rifle. You either have to go for that risky headshot or you got to put one pretty much center, center mass and probably blow out the breast. Yeah. See, I wouldn't want to mess with the meat with a shotgun. You shoot them in the head. Don't even usually don't have to worry about BBs in the breast. So. Yep. Yep. Well, do you want the uh, you want the story on the five yard? Miss? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hear let's hear this your turkey season so far. Well, yeah, I can just give you. Um, I've only hunted four days so far. That being the last four the, this week, um, we heard turkeys every day. Me and my dad were chasing them around like the mountains of Virginia, so uh, pretty hilly stuff, steep terrain, and uh, so we're chasing these mountain gobblers around and just just kind of having the typical mountain gobbler battles, like, you know, dealing with birds way up above you that you're trying to hike up to. And then uh, just super open woods this time of year in that part of the state. So made for some tough hunting conditions, but we had a bird actually that had gotten hot on, uh, I missed the bird yesterday, which was Wednesday. On Tuesday, a bird got hot down below our camper, like 150 yards below the camper but it was like 1230. And in Virginia, we can't hunt turkeys after noon um, for like the first three weeks of the season. So heard him gobbling down there, figured that hopefully he would be down there the next day gobbling and uh, waited until like 11 o'clock yesterday, heard him gobble once down there. So I went down there, uh, put in, it was just me. Uh, My dad was up doing some work around the camper And so I just put it in my mouth call. I hadn't actually used that mouth call in like a year and a half. And so my first call was absolutely horrible. And I'm just (laughs) sitting there like thinking, oh, I butchered this. There's no way he's coming in. And so I just sat there for like 10 minutes, scratched the leaves a little bit, figured I'd make another call. And the second one was good. And these mountain turkeys, they don't talk a lot, especially um, in the area that I was in, I was in like a really thick patch of mountain laurel, 
which is like a plant that grows anywhere from like six to 12 foot tall. It's just like a big, big bush basically, but it get it grows in these really thick stands in the mountains of Virginia. So I'm in a thick stand of that. And I'm just like, I made two calls. I'm just going to hunker down and wait. Cause a lot of the time these mountain turkeys just, just won't gobble and you give them 30 minutes or an hour and they'll sneak their way on in. So I'm sitting there for probably only about 10 minutes and I hear him drum for the first time and he's probably like 50 yards away, but I have this little knoll in front of me. Um, so I can only see about 10 yards in front of me. And then probably on the, you know, there's a big defilade there. And then on the backside, I can see about 70 yards. So he snuck up that defilade somehow and he's down there drumming. And I just sat there and waited and drumming just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And there was a little ditch right on the backside of that um, hill that's in front of me. And he's walked up and down that probably two or three times, just spinning and drumming. And like at that point, he's about 20 yards. So it was like really, really, really loud. And I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't called in a turkey by myself in probably two or three years. So my heart's going pretty good. And I got my dad's gun because um, my gun has the light modified duck choke stuck in it. So I got my dad's gun, never shot it before at anything. I'm like trying to figure out how to get the safety off as this turkey's 20 yards away spinning and drumming. And like next thing I know, I get the safety off and look up and he's there at like 10 yards, just popped over the hill, full strut and spit and drum one, spit and drummed one more time right there in front of me and like I could feel that one in my chest and actually like that made me get my stuff together at that point I was like almost hyperventilating but I got myself together took a deep <laughs> breath my dad has a red dot sight on his gun so I get the gun I had the gun up but I didn't really have it right on him so I had to wait for him to go behind the tree get it right up on the other side of the tree and he steps out took a full step out to the other side of the tree still in full strut and like he saw me move just a little bit. So he comes out of strut and just like raises his head up. He didn't, you know, he didn't make me out, but he figured out something was there and just the perfect shot and put that red dot right at the base of his neck, pulled the trigger, and he ran off about 20 yards down through the woods and then flew clear off, like literally flew off our ridge all the way to the other mountain on the other side of the valley, basically. Um, meanwhile, I'm sitting there like pumping my dad's gun as a pump. 12 gauge he didn't tell me that the feed mechanism was broken on it so i had two you know i had a great shot at this turkey running off through the woods um like 10 yard running shot i feel like i a shot i definitely could have hit and could not get another shell in the gun so yeah pretty disappointing i went and put the gun on paper like probably 15 minutes after that and the red dot sight was off four inches to the right so Oh, I'm sure I gave that turkey the fright of his life, but yeah, probably oh. missed it by about a clean two inches. Cause I, you know, he's five yards and one of my dad's buddies came over right after that. And, you know, as they should, they're giving me a hard time. And, you know, I had, I went and shot it. I was like, look, you know, I'm shooting a slug at that range. Cause he said, what he was saying was that, you know, Oh, you're shooting a shotgun. You should have at least got, you know, one pellet in him at five yards. And, uh, you know, my dad had a real, tight full choke in there so i'm shooting i don't know a quarter size pattern at five yards and yep just put it right by right on the wrong side of his head <laughs> jeez but it was all worth it just to get him like especially that last drum when he came up and did it at five yards it was 
I would have I would have sat there without a gun just to get to watch that because when you get them that close at full strut and you can like actually feel the drum in your chest, uh, it's a pretty pretty. I think it's probably the most special thing about turkey hunting. Oh yeah, I mean it's like it's it's just so cool. There's really cool birds up close, like the like you said the drumming, and then uh, I like if you watch them, like if you get them up close a lot and like where they go from strut to upright and then back to strut or feeding it's like they can move their feathers like they're almost like mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of like jurassic park almost like how they like they can almost move like individual feathers it's really cool to just witness um but no i guess i can share my close turkey miss story now um yeah go ahead so i, I was, can't get any worse than mine so i was uh shoot i think it might have been my first year turkey hunting first or second year turkey hunting i was with my dad so i was like 12 13 and uh we're set up leaning on this tree here and we got our old rubber tire hindi (laughs) (laughs) and we have this tom and we're my dad's talking to him on the box call and this tom's coming and he's coming and there's a so there's a pasture and then there's like a creek like a dry creek bottom that's probably six or eight foot deep and then it's fairly wide and then there's a bank and we're on the other side with some more pasture. Cause that's, there was some in the timber in that area. They would have had to come around. They went the other way that morning or something, but this one Tom comes across the field, comes across the pasture. He gets to this Crick bottom and he just, he hops down in the Crick bottom and he he's there for a good chunk of time. So eventually my dad, it's like, Matt, go, go sneak up there and just shoot him. Cause he, we, we know he's still in this Crick bottom. We haven't seen him it you know haven't seen him leave so you know i've got my little youth uh youth 20 gauge 870 <laughs> with my my full choke in and i get i'm literally on the edge of this creek bank and this turkey is down in the bottom of the creek and i'm just like he's like five yards and i'm just like this is like the closest i ever got to a turkey at this point in my life <laughs> and I, I think i just flinched like i shot and i flinched and nowhere close to him and he flew off <laughs> i was just i was so frustrated <laughs> but i mean you know it it shook me like how close i was to this seeing this turkey and i thought you know i thought i had to rush my shot at that age and all he did was stick his head up and i you know if, if it was the same scenario now i feel like i probably hit him most times out of you know probably nine and a half times out of ten but yep yeah just young kid and just inexperienced and just whiffed on a turkey at five yards but happens to the best of us that it does yeah the honestly i'm one of the coolest things about getting that close to that turkey too was just seeing how big they are in full strut like you almost forget how big they are until you get one that close and personal like when he came when i first picked my head up after knocking that safety off and he was there at full strut at 10 yards. Like I honestly thought it was a black bear walking up over that ridge because <laughs> we have those down there. I was like, oh, yep, here comes the bear. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say I told my dad right after. I was like, that's the biggest turkey I've ever shot at. And the more I think about it, I think I can hold true to that statement. He was an absolute monster, which, yeah, doesn't make it any easier to forget, unfortunately. Now, see, you guys are hunting more like timber, right? Like more woods yeah yeah pretty much exclusively woods i mean we'll hunt field edges too um and you'll see people you know put ground blinds out in fields for turkeys here but uh there's 
there's a, a lot of woods here and a lot of people hunt them in the hardwoods. Okay. Yeah. See, we, we've got a lot of obviously crop fields, um, and then they'll roost up in timber and stuff. So we hunt a lot of edges. It seems like, uh, except for like the pine Ridge, you know, we, you kind of find groves of pines and then they'll be out in meadows and you kind of try to cut, you know, if you can get out in front of them and then set up and call them, that can be really effective. Otherwise you kind of just set and you know, once you hear a gobble, but it, it's hard to find them up there. It's just so much area. And those, those birds act entirely different. They're more, I don't know if they're true Merriams, but they're more Merriam than anything they'd be hybridized by. Like if you go in Eastern Nebraska to central Nebraska, most of those are Merriam uh, Eastern hybrids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just tell by the tail feathers. They're more of a copper color versus the white cream color of the Merriams. And then there's even pockets of Rios here and there throughout the state, too. Um, but no, there, there's one, I guess, one, like when you're talking about back to your talking about the adrenaline pumping and all that, that's one advantage I feel like to not using a ground blind. Like there's nothing that compares to it when you're setting up against a tree. And you're, you know, you hear this gobbler far off and then he goes silent on you mm-hmm. and then he just gobbles like right next to you and you don't, you don't even see him, especially like in the timber, in the woods. That's why I was asking. Um, but like, it's different when it's in a field and you can see him strutting and gobbling his head off and coming right at you. But when you're in the timber and you're close quarters and you, you know, no ground blind, maybe not even a decoy and you might have a plan. Like, you know, I had that one last year. I thought he was going to come up this opening. He came up a different opening and it, it just gets you once they're like right there and gobbling and strutting right in front of you. Once you finally see them, it's just, it gets the heart pumping. It's, it's a fun experience. Yeah. Personally, I think there's, I think there's nothing like chasing Easterns around the hardwoods. I think it's almost like its own kind of special, special sect of turkey hunting because it's from every it's it's all i know so i can't personally compare it but from everybody who i've ever heard talk about it it's uh it's kind of the the top challenge in turkey hunting is getting an old mature eastern tom to give you an opportunity in the hardwoods you there yep oh sorry thought i lost you no, that, you know, that would be fun. I haven't, I've hunted the Pine Ridge that, like I said, that is probably the most beautiful place I've ever, oh, it is the most beautiful place I've ever turkey hunted. It's just gorgeous, tall pine trees, hills, and then there's some bluffs sometimes. It's, it's just a whole different, like, you don't even think you're in Nebraska at one point. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful country up there. And those birds, they act entirely different than birds, you know, in other areas of the state. Um you know, I grew up, we we're chasing them in cornfields and that broken timber and stuff like that. And that, that's fun too, but just, it, it's fun to get out there and try different things. Um, honestly, probably the, the top Turkey, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have, feel the need to get one of those grand slams where you got all the subspecies, but I do want to get an oscillated Turkey. Hmm. Those, have you seen those? Yeah, the ones in Mexico. Yeah, they look like peacocks. Yeah, those things. <laughs> I would. And they got huge spurs on them too. Like I, I would love to get one of those. They look <laughs> gorgeous. But 
like other than that the subspecies they don't i mean other than a few minor differences they don't really do it for me like a turkey's a turkey you know like i'm not i guess i'm not at that stage of a turkey hunter i just i like getting i like seeing the turkeys i like decoying the turkeys i like getting them close and occasionally i'll shoot a turkey but it's you know it's it's a whole nother facet like i just i just really probably my favorite part is being out early in the turkey woods hearing them roost and just watch you know listening to the woods come alive like because you can hear them when they come down it sounds like someone's opening a garbage bag it's kind <laughs> of the sound i think it you know i equate it to when they're uh-huh. flapping and they're going through the trees you'll yeah, hear see that yeah, you got wood ducks squealing. Like, I'll have wood ducks come if I'm hunting timber. They'll come land above me. And then, uh, you know, you'll see all kinds of deer and all kinds of other cool stuff. Saw elk up in the Pine Ridge last year. That was cool. So, just a, you know, something else, something different. Yeah, I mean, variety is the spice of life, I think, in, in any sort of hunting. Um, I know, I, I'd say, in particular for me, waterfowl hunting. But I, I think... Uh, there's definitely a little bit of a draw for me to go out and try hunting Merriam's or Rio's. I don't know about going down to Florida and messing with the gators and the mosquitoes, but just, (laughs) yeah, you know, all I've ever known is Eastern. So seeing a bird with a lighter colored fan always kind of sparks my interest. Yeah. I I, supposedly Merriam's, I think someone, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. um, But I think, they're one of the easier subspecies. Like I think that to hunt, like I've, I've heard, I want to say Osceola's and Easterns might be some of the hardest ones to hunt, but yeah, that from every, from what I've heard, that tends to be the, the common thought is that Easterns and Osceola's are, are pretty tough. And I think they're, they're, if I had to go out on a limb, I know nothing about like Turkey genetics, but I would assume that, Osceolas and Easterns are the most closely related. They seem to look the closest, um, just in appearance. And then it sounds like Rios and Merriams can be pretty dumb at times. I'm sure there's also plenty of times when they're just as smart and tough to hunt as an Eastern, though. It's just all about situation with turkeys, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's plenty of times, you know, I'm sure you could take people to certain parts of Virginia and set them up in a field that lots of turkeys go to and they're going to think eastern hunting is the easiest thing in the world um but you could take them and drop them in the hardwoods in the mountains and they might have a totally different experience yeah i see i always i always thought um it'd be fun to go hunt them in tennessee and like what is it the smoky mountains there uh-huh. i've seen some videos from that and that looks that looks like some fun country to hunt turkeys in and I don't, yes, and I don't care if I get my teeth kicked in just to be able to hear them gobbling through the haulers. I think that's what you guys call them, haulers, yeah. whatever you Southerners say. But <laughs> that would be that would be fun, I think. Yeah, and it, the the weird thing about it is it it's so different hunting them in the mountains than in the flatland. It's hard to really describe. I think it could almost be like a whole different topic for a podcast. Um, but I think that's one of the coolest things about turkey hunting, like personally in Virginia, it's the only place I've turkey hunted, but, um, you can go hunt them in the mountains and it's like, you're playing a completely different game with a completely different bird than if you go hunt them down in the flatlands close, close to the coast. 
I see. Yeah. Just yeah, just different in the way different in the way they behave, how vocal they are, you know, the structure of the groups, uh, turkey population density in general changes across the state. So there's a lot of interesting uh, different opportunities that you can get just hunting easterns in Virginia. Okay. Or I'm sure across the entire range of easterns. So I guess I need to ask this since it kind of goes hand in hand with turkey hunting, uh, or at least it seems like whenever I'm turkey hunting, I'll stumble across a few. Have you found any more rails yet? No, I think it's another dud year in Virginia. It's ah. like the second or third dud one we've had. For my spots, you know, people are still finding them. Um, people are finding them in good numbers and places, but our spots have been dead. My dad has found, I think, four in total so far. I've probably gone out and looked for eight or ten hours in total now, and I have not found a single one. So I've pretty much given up on them for this year. You know, I'll keep my I'll keep my eyes open in the turkey woods, but I'm not holding out much hope. Yeah, we need uh, we need some rain here. We're starting to finally warm up, but we need rain bad to get them popping. Yep. Yeah, that's. I think that was our issue here. I think we. We got warm really early, so that's why I started looking for them. And then we kept on getting these little showers. And every time we get another little shower, I would think, "Oh, yep, that'll be them. They'll they'll come up now." And it was just like we just never quite got to that moisture threshold where they really popped. So I hope y'all get the rain because it seems like when y'all do have the conditions line up, you guys find a lot of them and a lot of those big white yellow ones yeah i'm i'm craving them them and some wild asparagus hopefully to go with some uh wild turkey and walleye <laughs> heck yeah well i guess uh probably should that's about an hour probably should wrap her up here i guess one more question for you thomas all righty is this uh turkey miss gonna be on video no nope. oh i didn't i didn't even bring a cam- i didn't bring a single camera down there and as I was walking down there, I was thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, now that I don't even have a GoPro or anything, that's one's going to come in on me right now. And sure enough, uh, that's the way it went. And the funny thing is, like, it's the same way it goes waterfowl hunting. Whenever I forget the camera at home or something, something crazy or wild happens. So, nope, didn't have the camera on this one. Um, but I'm sure you'll make up for it with me. Make up for it for me with uh, plenty of good turkey <laughs> video this spring we'll see hopefully right now it's actually there's a chance of rain snow mix saturday morning which is our opener so uh hopefully that holds off hopefully it's sunny and not very windy and the turkeys just gobbling their heads off <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll be looking uh looking forward to hopefully a picture of a big tom on the tailgate come saturday about nine o'clock well fingers crossed but that is, uh, I think we'll just call that a podcast. Be sure to go check us out on Facebook. The Foul Front Podcast Group will post in there. Um, there's some conversation going on. And, uh, yeah, so go check that out if you want to join in. We're getting a few members about every day, I think, so or something roughly like that. And then uh, follow Thomas and I on social media. I am High Prairie Sportsman on Instagram, YouTube, and you can follow thomas over on youtube hoke outdoors and i think you're on instagram as well thomas yep 
Okay, follow the adventures of young Leroy. Yeah, been doing tons of training with him, so I'm super stoked about his progress and going to have some videos coming out soon on that. Awesome. So let's call that a podcast. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.